Welcome to another pleasant day at Crime Time. We encourage self-exploration and growth. We are fully aware that passion leads to enlightenment. Please proceed with caution. Warning, knowledge heard here may transform into wisdom if put into action. Coming back to you live from Studio 144. Yeah, Vance right here, baby. What's up? We got Doc on the right. Doc Hollywood, what's up? We've had two months out there, summer road trip in Aubra. We just got back from a train hopping trip. We went from uh, the northwest down into Arkansas with our homeboy Pelves. So appreciate him taking us on a rail tour. That was a good time. Good looking out, Pelzy. Well, we did knock out a few interviews out there. and Indeed. It's been fun. Yeah, tell me about this skill interview. Uh, what's been going on with that? Uh, you know, it was about a month ago uh, we got in contact. The guy's kind of a professor in a sense. He's a doctor. He's kind of a mentor. 30-plus years in the game. It's hard to believe. You know, a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of intel. Have you got that disc in front of you? Um, I believe I... Yeah, here it is. All right, let's roll the clip. Skillio. You've been going at this thing 30 years. Is there anybody in the game out there in LA that's been painting, you know, longer than you? Are you the oldest? Not even close. I'm the second generation. I'm not even the first generation. There's an old school before me, guys that I looked up to that were already doing it. I keep in mind that in, in Los Angeles, you had an old, also gang culture. So seeing dudes strike up on walls, I mean, I saw, I have pictures of myself with my mom holding me in my arms with Toonerville tags in the background with really dope writing. As a kid, I would just see like all the, the hit-ups that the gangs were doing. Of course, it looked kind of scary, you know, because, you know, as a kid, you know, the way that the writing was, it was like you could tell they were marking territory and whatnot, but, uh, and it was everywhere. I mean, everywhere in LA. So it's like, you know, you kind of just grew up all around graffiti. When hip hop started coming around, that break dancing and all that, that's when you started seeing the New York kind of style graffiti. I had little brothers that were in a break dancing crew, and then I met some other homeboys and I kicked it with them. I tried to pop and break a little bit, but when I started seeing some of the graffiti, that would be on the record covers on their posters and stuff. I started like getting attracted to that. So I would doodle a little bit, but I really wasn't into it that much. What I, I was a good racker. I was always a good criminal and stuff. So what I would do is I would actually go rack cans for a dude who was an older dude named Jace. I was, and then I'd go be his lookout. Cause back then you didn't have like, I mean, you were pioneering, so you didn't know where to paint. You didn't know what was cool. What wasn't cool. So he started like going and hitting train, like along train tracks because it was kind of more just, you know, low pro. And I would go with him and look out. We got chased by helicopters sometimes. And it was kind of, you know, it was really like, it was scary at the time, you know, because we didn't really have anything to base it off of. Yeah, so it was, that's the way it was then. So, but, but later on, as I started expanding and kind of growing up and traveling around more, I started getting exposed to a lot of what the, the older generation was doing. And like I said, in those days, the busing was really, I mean, hard. Buses were grilled, bro. I mean, and, and it was grilled in a way 
it's kind of cool because it was all respect. Like everybody would write, but no one would just go over everybody. Like you would write a little tag, a dude right next to you, then a dude on top of him. So the stuff looked like a collage, bro, all on the back of the bus, outside the bus, everywhere. And they didn't have a buffing system. You could roll for months, bro. And so you started getting kings of lines that would have a tag on every bus on that line or, or two or three lines. or And it made it exciting. And you'd be going around running into dudes, catching them tagging and stuff. And hey, what you write, boom. And you, so you started meeting people from different areas. And, and so and the city is pretty vast. So you had a lot of places you could travel on the bus lines. They were like our subways. That's how we got around. And, and through the buses, we just, it was an adventurous scene, you know, like, so in those days, as long as those bus, the bus scene was around, most writers in LA were consumed by that. Of course, the dudes who could piece, West Coast artists, K2S, but they were already like on some next level. Those dudes were already like, doing styles and pieces that were like really advanced you know and and so uh we take pictures of that and but those dudes we looked at them like they were just way beyond like you know anything we could do it seems like the newer generation is really lacking history not just understanding it their reasoning for getting into it or getting involved in it well you know advance that when you when you start talking about stuff like that you and especially you talk to a lot of the old school guys you start hearing a lot of like negative complaining and kind of stuff like and you know what I've realized even a long time ago as things was as they changed, you know, so I witnessed waves of change come into the graffiti scene. And as I witnessed that, at first I try to resist it and kind of try to counter it, you know, by writing articles. I'm a pretty good writer. So I, I got a hold of a, a magazine that would publish articles and stuff like that. And so I wrote some stuff, you know, with all this, you know, the um, at that time they weren't called hipsters, but there was like a movement of, of stuff like that happening in L.A., where there was basically upper class rich people were trying to come in and kind of take over graffiti and then kind of like bump out the all the ghetto people. I wrote articles about stuff like that, but then I realized, you know what, like it's inevitable. And so what we just got to do is is every old school writer is just going to have to take responsibility for his own work and putting his stuff out there, getting with the internet, getting hip to stuff. And then, you know, and, and if, you know, you, you look out for one another, you know, you kind of should school them, show them how to do it, you know, but I mean, my generation, you're dealing with a lot of brutes, a lot of knuckleheads, a lot of dudes that really don't want to learn, a lot of hardheads. We were troubled, dysfunctional dudes, a lot of us. You know, a lot of us were alcoholics, drug addicts, you know, knuckleheads, you know, in and out of jail, thieves, criminals. And so a lot of times, so it's almost like this. If you were to compare it to another genre, it's happening everywhere else, like in the car culture, in um, tattooing, in whatever. It's just like the world is grown there's more people more people doing it it's easier to get trained through youtube and through the internet and so the reality of it is is that there's just a new set of dynamics you're always going to get people that are into like retro and going back like there's dudes who will go back to old school ways of woodworking or making arrows or survival techniques like they'll go out and build a hut out of wood or something you know with just a few tools i've noticed there's cats that just they, they that's how they live then there's cats that use the technology and the modern stuff, and they do it more advanced. It's just a lot of genres and directions you can take it, and each one is its own world, you know. Like so, within, let's say, the culture right now of the dudes who are super technical and realistic, like in Europe and all that stuff, within their own world, they're gonna have their own scene, their own language, their own ways. That it's just like a whole other genre. That like, so to me, I don't really hate on it. I just look at it as like something else now, you know. And so I'm within my lane. I'm within my world, which is cats that. The old ways, bro. Just, you know, you, you get your paint, work with what you got, and just go get up and just do it and just live the life. Uh, and you bust letters, bro. To us, that's what it was about. Letters, bro. That's the main focus. We do characters, but the characters are always 
we're always like to enhance and to point out and to kind of build up our letters. Really, that's my genre. That's what I'm into. And I'm, just, and I'm happy to, to, you know, to see that there's been other ways, other things that people do to advance the culture and, and there's other styles of it. And I can appreciate it, whatever. I mean, I don't sit there and look at it all the time. I don't focus in on it. I like to look at old New York stuff. I like to keep up with what the cats are, the old generations we're doing. You know, I like looking at their Instagrams and stuff like that. So basically, you're just going to have genres that you're comfortable with. And so I'm, I'm comfortable in the old school lane, you know. What do you think was the pinnacle of a graph career when you were coming up? Well, understand that in, in L.A., graph culture, value was based on, on more than just writing and stuff like that. Because, okay, you had a, a network of people constantly around you and your reputation could be built or destroyed by other actions besides graffiti. For example, if you snitched, if you, you did someone dirty, you stole from a homie or, you know, you cross someone out in a foul way or you just you took someone's chick, whatever. Or if you were supposed to get down with someone and you, you ranked out, you didn't get down with them. I mean, there's a million and one ways, you know, dudes could get faded and catch wreck. Beefs would happen and how you handle those beefs. So a lot of things that it was mixed with street culture. So you would say that writer ain't no good. Like, you know, that fool's cool. You know, he's, he's solid people, you know. And so I still use those techniques to kind of measure up dudes. Like when I meet dudes, I'm open-minded to everybody, to New Jacks, to anyone that I meet. But I'm looking immediately at their character, at their vibe. And then when you say that dude's no good, you know, whatever, you know, it's like that implies that you already like gave him the benefit of doubt. You gave him some chances, but dude showed himself to be funny style, you know. And so so to me, you could be the best graffiti artist in the world. But if you're funny style, you know what I'm saying, you, you, you don't come correct, then I don't have respect for you, bro. So to me, like like it's a lot more than just your technique. It's the way you are. It's your graph name represents a lot more than just the actual stuff that you draw to me. You know, it's not just the technique. It's the person behind that technique, you know, and that's what I tell my younger homies now. I say in graffiti, a lot of times don't don't confuse the art with the person. And I say this really is about people because really what we're doing is we're communicating is all we're doing. It was like an underground telephone network. We were like putting our names up dude would write next to you then you'd write next to him and then you'd find out spot i mean it was a lot of communication going on dudes who get along who wouldn't get along all that kind of stuff was being written on the walls. that's what i'm saying it, it says a lot about you your name should say something good in my book that's that that's the way i look at it you know so that's what i respect i respect if a dude's a stand-up cat i don't care that's why a lot of people trip out on me because i'll paint with a lot of dudes who aren't that technically that good but because I know them from the streets and they're just good, solid cats that I just want to be around. You know what I'm saying? And so like, I'm not with painting with the dude just because technically he's got a big rep and he's well-known and popular because he's really good technically. See what I'm saying? And some dudes, that's what they do. They're ladder climbers, bro. They're just like scene jockers. They like, they basically just aim for like whoever the popular dude is. They want to paint with that cat. Even if he, he treats them bad, even if he's like a, a piece of crap and they'll just go ahead and do that, you know? And so, um, I'm not that way, you know, first I meet you as a human being. If I like you, whatever, I don't treat you any different than like I would like, you know, I don't show preference for like a dude just because he's more better technically. You know what I'm saying? They can paint, but their character's shit and you write them off. Is there any way that that guy can change your mind? Of course, man. That That's just life, bro. Right? Like everybody goes through phases in their life where they'll get a little out of control or whatever. There's a times when I was just angry and being a knucklehead and I, I jacked a lot of dudes for their pain at yards, bro. You know what I mean? It's like I regulated a lot of cats and maybe went a little overboard on some things. You know what I mean? It, but after I thought about it and later on, I was like, you know, that wasn't cool or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, I made, but I, I manned up and made my amends though. You know, and when I, 
ran into dudes, I'd be like, hey, you know, you remember that went down, whatever, you know, you want to squash it, whatever it takes, you want to box, heads up. But I recognize where I was wrong, you know, whatever. And, and dudes have been gracious and they're like, nah, it's all good, man. We'll just let it go, whatever, you know. So it just depends on how they come at you. Like, let's say if some dude were acting funny and, you know, not, and it, you know, first of all, I wouldn't go really talking bad about him. I just wouldn't be kicking it with him, you know. And uh, I just kind of keep my distance. But if I started genuinely, like, coming correct, you know, I would totally just keep, I'd go forward with that. You know, like, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and hold a grudge for a long time over something stupid. It's just that whatever the person's state of mind is at that time is what I'm going to roll with. So I'm just careful about who I'm rolling with at that moment, you know. Yeah, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, UTI? Tell that story. It's kind of good to give a little bit of a context as to why crews form. You know, different crews get together for different reasons. You know, like the, the, the founding members have certain visions and dreams of why they're getting the crew together. You know, for me, the crew started between me and Snap, which were homies, and we were solid. So really, and then what we did, we just started putting down other ind independent cats that really weren't from any major crews. Or that were from crews, but ended up kicking it with us more because we just vibed. Right. Our whole thing was always a vibe of like brotherhood and a vibe of like just getting along and just being friends first before, you know, and then graph was just a part of what we did. And so our purpose was never really to set out to be the best. I mean, we always, you know, just did what we did and we got fresh, but we never had the intentions of, let's say, like trying to get into a big crew or trying to like be a big crew and compete with people or whatever. We were more like party animals, you know, that's why we're called under the influence, you know? So we had a, a, we had other things in life we did too. Like we did graffiti and that's just what we did. Wherever we went, we just carried markers and wrote. And then we went out and pieced and painted and got up. We also would go to parties. We were known, they would throw crews up of like dance crews and stuff. Sometimes they would throw us up on those flyers and, and tell people, oh, they're going to be up there or whatever. So that's the way it was. We'd party a lot. We'd meet different people. We'd travel around on the buses. And we do drugs and drink and stuff. And that was, you know, chase after women, whatever. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the, the lifestyle we lived. We did it all, you know? And so our crew was founded on that kind of, of a vibe of, of brotherhood. And then we were each other's biggest supporters and fans. So I would be proud of, like, that's my homeboy, snap, you know, boom, you know, like, because he was older than me, you know? So I, I gave him that respect. And so we'd give each other all kinds of respect and pump each other up. And so it was just fun to be around, see other crews. Some of them are set out to be like, the top-notch king crew and they have really high standards and it's all about you know style but they don't put so much of an emphasis on like personality and stuff like that so they're a lot of them tend to like not really hanging around together too much they tend to not be as solid like as tight as family you know that's what we chose we chose to just do more like you know we're going to stick together like a family you know and so i think we were one of the first crews in la to do that and since then a lot of crews try to kind of pattern after that which is cool, you know, but they're, they're, like I said, there's different crews with different purposes. A lot of people say, well, you guys are like, you know, some of the kings in LA. I'll be like, well, we never really set out to try to be all that, you know, like that wasn't our main goal. That just like a byproduct of us just living the lifestyle and just getting better at it from practice, you know? And so to this day, when we recruit, like we have to kind of train some of the new dudes to understand that. Like look, we tell them like, look, because sometimes they'll be like, man, but you guys are kind of getting in some dudes that ain't that fresh. Or even outsiders might be like, you guys are an elite crew. Why'd you let in so-and-so, like someone who ain't that technically good? And we're all, because, you know, that's our homie. You know, that's a, a we hang out in the streets. We're, that's a, he, that's fam. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and so we have members from the crew that were just local taggers, dudes who never really advanced a lot, but we grew up with them. And so we didn't just turn our backs on them when we just started becoming popular. Still, they still rep it and they believe in it just as hard, but we find roles for them to do. They'll be the dudes buffing, 
or they'll run to the store and get stuff, you know, whatever, or they'll be filming. You know what I'm saying? We try to find a place for everyone to, to kind of take part in it based on, on the loyalty aspect. When you recruit someone in, is that something you talk to the whole crew about? Is it five main guys? What's the whole process? Well, you know, the, the process in a crew is constantly evolving. The good thing is, is we have some solid heads that, that you know, are strategists, thinkers. I mean, some people have been successful in the business world or whatever, you know, so, so they have management experience and kind of business ethics and stuff. And so a lot of times what we do is, first of all, we still keep true to our principle, which is we're really like a support network for like underdogs that are cool dudes, but that normally may not have a, a, a big support system under them and stuff. So that's part of our philosophy. So we hook up with people. We like them. We'll be like, when we met, for example, we went to Sacramento for some, to, to paint and to do some things. Well, we already had some homeboys from Reno and they had already known Minus and Emer. And they'd been telling us about them, whatever. So when I went there and met them, I just checked them out as people, you know, and they, they were really cool. Like we, we clicked, they, they were just really solid cats, cool dudes, and they were really dedicated and serious. And so instantly I felt that bond, like, man, I'd love to just be part of the same thing with them. When you're dealing with dudes like that, who are already veterans in their own right and have a dope crew and already, they don't really need to, to join another crew. You know, it's just kind of one of those things where you're you're just like, okay, well, you know what I mean? If it's meant to be and if, if they're open to it, cool. You know, but you're also ready to be like, well, you know, if, if they decide they don't want to, then that's fine too, you know? Luckily, like the people that we've approached have been really cool. They've been gracious about it. And they've done a, a real good job and just getting involved. I would communicate back to the, to the squad in LA and the Bay. We all watch each other, so we know what each other's doing. And so they would kind of watch the developments and we talk and then they would be like, yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, they're fresh. And, you know, th there's a lot of communication between us. So when something is just kind of, we always say that the crew takes care of itself. Like if you fit in with it, feel like you were always a part of it. If you weren't supposed to be from it, like you won't survive. Like you, it will work you out. You know what I'm saying? And there's been dudes we've booted and dudes that didn't cut the mustard because it's just their actions and the way they were started becoming funny and it just showed its Crew will weed, it, weed you out. That's our saying, you know, if, if you're not meant to be from it, you know, and if you're meant to be from it, you're just, you'll, you'll totally be a part of it. What you are as an artist and as a writer and your character are going to play more of a major role than what crew you're in. Totally. And that's the number one indicator of a dude who's not supposed to be from the crew because a real genuine writer, cat who's solid or whatever, is happy and at peace with who he is and doing, he knows why he does it. And he's just going to do it whether he's in, in your crew or not. And so they kind of already know like that, hey, destiny will bring us together. Like we'll meet, we kick it, and eventually I'll be a part of this. I don't have to ask, you know what I mean? I'm just going to do it, and if they appreciate it, cool. We like to get guys like that, you know what I'm saying, dudes who – but as soon as you start asking and stuff and start like kind of like jockeying or acting kind of weird and stuff like that, and there's ulterior motives in the relationship, then I can't trust you. Because you're already playing, like, trying to finagle your way in, and you're just trying to be cool with me just so you can be a part of what we got going on, you know? And so you're not really being personally my friend, you know what I'm saying? You're, I mean, I'll be kind and courteous the way that I'll... But I think he's just got to recognize, like, well, yeah, I'm kind of coming on kind of strong. It's just like a relationship with a girl. When you're courting a woman, you just can't come out. Sometimes you, you got to, like, kind of earn that. You had to kind of be real. The girl wants to know if you're really going to love or be genuine. And, and that takes time, you know, if you really care, if you're not just trying to jump in bed with her. And that's the same thing with the crew. You know, if, if you're going to be a real committed member and you're serious about it, you'll be patient and you'll, you'll let it happen. You'll allow it to develop instead of trying to push it. Speaking of women, have you noticed it's hard to maintain a relationship being involved, you know, in graffiti? Yep. It becomes a competitor for your uh, attention and time. 
So naturally, you know, it's since it's very consuming and it takes a lot of your time, it's very addicting and, and you like to get up and you have goals and you have visions that will overpower in many cases uh, other things you have in your life. So it just depends on really how you how much you want to balance your life and how much time you want to invest in your graph career. But um, it's affected my relationships in the past. There's been a lot of times that, you know, I they realize like I'm never going to really get this guy. Like he, his first love is graffiti, you know, and so... You know, there's some people that know how to balance it out pretty good. And but then in that case, you kind of have to live like kind of two lives. And, you know, there was some times when I successfully did that and I had my writing life, my writing world. And then I would and I always ran it that way and have my lady and my family or whatever on 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 a whole separate tip, you know, and, and try not to bring too much crossing over of that stuff. You know, I mean, sometimes I would have homies over, have a barbecue or something. But generally, I try to keep the two things apart, you know, and I found that that worked better. There's some dudes, for example, that will always bring their chick to the yard and bring their chick to every event, bring their, and then you could just tell the chick is bored. You could tell, you know, I see in, in the wives and in the girlfriends of, of some homies that try to bring them around a lot that the chicks just, you know, they're there, but they're, they're not really feeling it. And it becomes a distraction that the dude is not really engaged in what's going on because he's got to be worried about how she's feeling. So he's juggling the two and it just becomes awkward. So at our meetings, for example, we have a rule that like you don't bring girlfriend, you don't bring your chicks around. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, you know, and and so there, there are no, you don't bring anyone else around. You know what I mean? It's just like it's a meeting, and if like let's say we're painting at a yard and it's a serious production, same thing. Don't bring them until we're done. Then bring them all you want. Throw a barbecue, whatever you want, in front of the wall. When we're about business and we're putting in work, then you know that's just a distraction. You know, I've seen some productions you guys have done where the background color changes. The piecing color will change where the letters are in that section of the wall. Okay, like a monochromatic effect. Uh, one of the most popular examples of that, it was a big UTI we did on Washington and Western. It's like, that, that that's a big wall. And Pleck led that attack. Pleck is a, man, he's a, he's a, he's a solid cat. And he's a, he's a dude from my neck of the woods, the Linwood section of the city. And he was a little kid. I mean, after I'd already been a king. And been around in the scene for a long time, I would see this little kid up. Never dreamed that he would be as good as he is now because a lot of times, you know, as, as you go through the graph generations, they come and go. And you're, you're very few actually end up staying long term and developing into something special. And especially, you know, it, it narrows down when you get into your particular neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Like out of your neighborhood, rarely will another one rise to your type of level. And Pleck was one of those real pleasant kind of surprises of a dude who was from my hood, my area, but, and even independently, you know, even though he was looking, he said he's, you know, he, he was inspired by that, what I was doing, he would see it, but we weren't interacting really on a close level. Like he, he knew some, I knew some of his little homies. So we were kind of acquainted in, in a distant manner, but he, he worked hard and he painted and he loved it on his own. He did his thing. Eventually, you know, became part of the crew but has he's one of those guys that has surpassed most of us you know he just be, he's just uh, a monster and just like just draws a lot and paints a lot you know and, and just master techniques and whatnot it was his idea to come up with a uti huge that would have names all throughout it and then the uti you would see it as like a mirror effect in lighter colors throughout the pieces so the pieces would be partially one color and partially part of the color that spells out the uti and so that, that wall was considered a classic in L.A. It's still running. We've always fixed it up because toys will sometimes catch a throw up on it or something, and then we'll just go back and fix it. But it's getting to the point where it's been running so long 
that uh, you know we're already thinking about working out something else there. How do you feel about guys in your crew being affiliated maybe with other crews? Well, every crew in LA is different. Like I said, in the philosophy that they run it, some crews that don't really like their members be sharing other crews too much. We've always been kind of the knights of the round table. So from the very beginning, we're a gathering of like dudes that were from other crews, but that ran with us and were closer with us as friends or lone wolf dudes that had like a crew, but they were the leader of, but only had like two members or three members in their little city, whatever. And then, um, and then clicked up with us. So we kind of gathered a lot of like underdogs and a lot of dudes. And that was part of one of the things we enjoyed is that through having members from other crews, we had, you know, so to speak, like a, a extended family, like cousins and whatnot. And so we have a lot of crews that are like that, that through having joint members, we got to meet them and hang out with them and party with them, whatever, and um, and build in a more extended family in other areas. So it's benefited us a lot. So we're considerate. Like we keep in mind even like a tandem. Let's say like Fear and Dove, for example. They were from a crew called DCV. One of them, like somebody mentioned, like, let's, you know, when you get them in, you kind of have to get them in both because if you only get one in, you're going to kind of like cause a possible like dissension between them, you know, or just like an uncomfortable vibe, you know, like one of them's not going to feel like, I mean, he might be, you know, if they're real friends, he'll be like, Hey, I'm happy for you. I'll support you. But it's kind of like, man, why didn't they pick me too? You know? And so you kind of got to take those considerations. Like you want to keep a team solid. So sometimes we get dudes in as pairs. And things like that. And so, you know, there's just different dynamics when, you, when you're choosing members. But for crews, we're cool about it. We're totally for it. And we, like I said, we consider ourselves a support network for just general underdog riders. So we even pump up our brother crews. We help them out. We um, get them out there. We promote them. We become like their promoters in a way. That's just kind of what we feel is like a good thing to do as an older crew is you take on the role. You know, you just after a certain point, you got enough fame and you're cool. You start getting a kick out of helping other people, you know. That's where we're at with that. Now, on the opposite of the spectrum, there is a dude, for for example, that we had asked to get in the crew, but he couldn't because there's a law in his crew that he can't be from any other crew. So there are crews that are real strict like that. And even if in their heart they want to be a part of our crew, they can't. Just to all writers in general, what is the one thing they need to get out of Graph? What's the most prominent thing they need to learn from this to better their lives better their art graph is more than just the writing it's the people so what the best thing they can get out of it when i look at the value of what i've gotten out of it overall for my life has been this like me meeting you you know and talking with you and communicating and and, and meeting another human being it's been one of the greatest icebreakers that has helped people like i get to kick it with people i would have never kicked it with if I would have just stuck in my little family unit neighborhood, my, my cousins and my culture or whatever, I got to meet different races, nationalities, classes, economic classes, um, been to different countries, different cities. And so it's an incredible communication tool that's natural, bro, and it's free. And it's un you can't regulate it. And no one can really control it or manipulate it. It's, it's just like, it's like a Skype, <laughs> you know, it's like the internet. But it, but done in real on wall in brick and mortar on street basically a culture of communication so that's what I would say to writers is like don't just get fooled and get in you know impressed by the technique only that is a communication tool and that ultimately what you're going to get out of it in the long run is a lot of cool relationships a lot of friendships a lot of opportunities if you choose to make it that way so just watch how you conduct yourself because if you're you're going to be like a person that's really out for number one and you're out to, you know, just for your ego 
it's going to show and you're not going to get the, the benefits out of it, which is just meeting and, and connecting with a lot of people. You're just going to, and in some cases, some cats, there's a whole generation of cats that have turned sour, like the throw up dudes that like get like cap and all that, that just kind of like get a kick out of just like smashing on people's stuff. You know, like you can go that route and try to be notorious, but see, you know, you, you're going to get called on your BS, like pretty much like just cause dudes peas and cause dudes are good artistically doesn't mean they're, they're punks. And so that's one of the things that I would tell like some of the new writers that are trying to get kind of think that they're crazy or whatever, you know, understand that, that there's dudes that really live the life that really did time that really have been in a lot of fights and have been in gunplay and been in serious situations, bro, where it, it would not even be a thing for them to deal with you. You know what I'm saying? And so don't let it get to your head, you know, and, 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 and keep yourself just Try, try to make it into a positive when it comes to meeting people and being, if you're partaking in the scene, be careful, you know, that you don't get too big for your britches and think you're all that and think you can just smash on people and it's never going to come back to you, you know, because uh, there's a lot of cats that are running around thinking, okay, all the old dudes are out of the scene. We don't have to worry about them. And they'll just go around smashing on everybody. There's going to come a, t a point when they're going to smash on somebody that ain't gonna, is, is going to retaliate, you know, and so like you can end up wrecking your whole world over, over like, you know, how you conduct yourself you know at what point did you realize this was a lifestyle 30 40 years from now this is still going to be part of your you know identity i really didn't see myself living past 18 when i was 18 i didn't see myself living past 21 when i was 21 I didn't see much you know like just the fact that i kept living continuing and growing at each phase has been already like a journey i've had the privilege of being able to experience more things than a lot of my contemporaries and friends never got to experience you know, because where I grew up at, you know, there was a, a lot of different traps that you can, or a lot of mistakes you could slip and end up uh, making a decision that, that uh, took you out of the game, you know, of life. You know, we have six members resting in peace, and uh, but that's just in our crew, which tends to be a little more positive. I mean, but, you know, affiliate crews of just homeboys from neighborhoods and people we know, family members, all that. In L.A., people drop like flies. That's how I view it. You know, I'm just grateful that to have made it this far you know and and so the whole time there was never like a long-term plan you know it was just like a thing of like it's just what we do right now this is just what we do you know we just what we enjoy i mean it's always moving right so it's like i get a call from someone so hey, man we're painting up here we're doing this you know and if i'm not doing nothing all right i'm gonna swing by man i'll slide through man you guys good you, you have some food where you know what i'm saying it's just a normal thing i mean i got older homies that still roll around with mean streaks and pilots in their pocket. And then wherever they're going, they're still catching, getting up. You know what I mean? Like just normal. Like when they're going to the post office or they're going to the market, they'll just walk down the street a little bit, catch a few landmarks, and then just, you know, go right about their business. Like it's just a part of like what they do. So you talked about, you know, being under the influence at the beginning of the crew. What was it in you that helped you overcome? Some people never crawl out of those holes. Right, absolutely. And I, I was in the hole just as deep as anyone you can think of. So for me, what it was, it was it was God, you know, spiritual beliefs. That's what made the difference for me, you know, because like I said, I had no plans. I had no life expectancy plans. I had no, um, no idea that I would uh, keep living on. And so for me, as I kept living on and, and I noticed that at times I try to shake it when I when it was affecting my life, let's say, and there was just things that I needed to sober up for. I would shake it on my own willpower and stop for a little bit, but then I would, you know, after a couple of weeks or something, time would go by, I'd go right back into it. And so it was just like one of those things where like there was a desire within me, 
that knew that hey that, that you know at some point I would just like to master over myself and be able to to shake this, but um, I couldn't find the willpower, the strength to do it, you know. And so, really, my whole thing started with a simple prayer. I just said, you know, God, I kind of know that that you know that, that there's another way, and that you know, and I, and I've seen a lot of things, for example, that were beyond coincidence that for me showed me that there was a higher force or something working, and so. I was just honest. I said, and, and you know what? The worst that I was sometimes and the bad things I was doing, I would feel that force taking care of me. You know what I'm saying? And protecting my life. I mean, I just, I should have been dead a lot of times. I've been shot at point blank range many times and the bullets would miss me when they shouldn't, they should have hit me, you know? And, and just situations like that, that just, there was no way that, you know, times when I was like bumped up by cops for things that I would have been put away for a long time. But mysteriously, they got another emergency call or something. And I mean, there was just constantly stuff like that happening in my life where I shouldn't be here. This is like, this is, there's got to be a purpose for this, you know? And so it started with a simple prayer. I just said, okay, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I like to chase skirts. I like to drink. I like drugs. I like to party. I like graffiti. And I can't shake it. So if you ever want me to change my ways, you're going to have to put something in me, a desire or something to change on the inside, because I just don't got it. I'm going to be honest with you. And that was it. That was my simple prayer that changed everything. Because then, in the in weeks later, I, I was I remember distinctly, I was out partying, and I ended up at a rave when my homeboy snapped. We ended up doing speed. We ended up drinking. We ended up, I mean, everything, bro. Ended up with some porn chicks. I mean, it was just like, in my sinful nature, that would have been like, yes, this is great, you know, right? I mean, it was like we had all the drugs, we had money, we had chicks there, we were partying. But yet, you know what? I just didn't feel happy at all, man. Like I felt an emptiness I had never quite felt. And I felt like a real awareness of my lost condition. Like I just felt lost. I just felt like, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Like it's like my eyes had opened up and I really looked at myself for the loser that I was, you know, because I really was. I mean, I really wasn't doing anything good for anybody but myself, you know, right? And, um, and I never really even... Uh, did things to my potential as a human being, right? Even in, in graffiti, you know, I did, I accomplished a lot, but not to the potential that I had. I, I, I realized all that stuff. And then, you know, and I, and it's just like, uh, it's almost as if the, like how I prayed, I, I remembered then I was like, oh yeah, I did. I prayed about this a few weeks ago. I had asked for the want to. And so that's what I, I noticed just started happening. I just started having a want to follow after God and to seek God that I didn't have quite before, like on that level. And that just began a journey. And for me, I just kept going that direction and just talking to God like you would talk to a friend like to in, within myself, you know, and just kind of keeping my eyes open, watching the, the directions my life would take, then having to make the choices, you know. And at, and at the same time, I was presented by good things from what I would say was God, and I was presented with temptations from what I would say was the devil. In other words, at that time, mysteriously all kinds of like great opportunities to like do really bad things presented themselves like i mean were handed to me like here like just do this but it was like i knew for a fact if i went that route and started doing those things i would have to give up going the route towards god decision where i had to make choices they were constantly being presented to me like you're going to go towards god more or you're going to go towards the devil and and it was clear that it was like some other force that was trying to motivate me to go that direction because it was like suspicious like it was just so suspect you know it was just like offers and opportunities that were just like from people that would have never normally offered that or were stingy or whatever you know now they wanted to like suddenly open the doors you know what i mean 
and whether it was like to sell drugs or to the porn industry or to this or to that. All of a sudden, all the stuff that I liked was being like just handed to me on a plate and then on a silver platter, bro. You know, and so I saw through that. I could see that. I was like, that's a trap. That's just like, I could see that. And so what I did is just instead of like, I just chose like, okay, I ain't going that way no more. Like, there's my chance. I could have everything I wanted, always what I wanted right now. And I said, nope, but it's like, I don't want that now. Like something changed in me. And then that, and so, you know, that, that's basically what happened. I just turned and started going a different direction, but with the help of God. That's so that's what it took for me. You know, it sounds like even before you found God, that God was interacting with you, almost cutting corners, keeping you somewhat safe or in line. Are you where you wanted to be for having special guidance? Because not everyone gets guidance the way you have. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Since general human condition has a search for quest for meaning, you know, just the fact that you're born into this world and you're existing and you're going to die and all that stuff. I don't care who you are. You're going to have some kind of have to come up with some kind of a meaning to your life or what death is going to be or what your life is going to be. So there's different philosophies, different approaches. And so people, that's something that we all have to deal with. And as a result of that, when somebody that is well known like me within, let's say, for example, in graffiti, like people know me. Right. So I knew like, OK, people are going to be watching me if I declare and I, you know, and then, you know, if I'm going this route. I'm a visible figure. My conduct and stuff like that is going to reflect, you know, I'm, I'm really going to be out there in the, in the limelight. And so when, if I'm doing something wrong, whatever, it's going to reflect on me and people are going to really notice that. And uh, so I really got to be about it. There is a pressure like that, you know, when, when you are a well-known person. And so by far, not a perfect person, you know, there's times when I fail to live up to the standard that's, you know, in the Bible. But I'll tell you one thing is that the cool thing about God is that it's not based on performance. Is that he already is aware of our situation, our messes we get ourselves into. If he can see that we genuinely are trying to make an effort to improve, he'll help us. And it's like when your kid's riding a bike and, you know, you take off the training wheels and at first they start kind of tottering and falling and stuff like that. But, you know, you keep giving them chances and you keep, you keep working with them until they can ride the bike. And it's kind of like the same thing with God. If you think that you have to get perfect for God to accept you, you're wrong. Like he takes projects, he takes hurting people, he takes broken people and helps them to help themselves. Like, like, you know, you feed them someone a fish or you can teach them to fish. That's the way God works here. God will work with you and, and help you. So I, I have seen tons of improvement, bro. I mean, I'm definitely not the same person I once was. I mean, and anyone that knows me will tell you that. Um, and I have overcame, you remember when I was telling you that no way to stop myself from doing certain things. Oh, I told that. I mean, I haven't done drugs or drank in 16 years, bro. I, I, that's unimaginable for me and for anyone that knew me. I mean, I used to drink and smoke myself to sleep every night, bro, 40 ounces and blunts and I'll throw rocks in there, bro. And smoke primos, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I went hard, bro. You know, I haven't tasted it, messed with it. And I don't even have the desire anymore for it, you know? And so, yeah, there has been quite a bit of improvements, definitely a different person. I've picked up and learned a lot of other things in life that I may not have been exposed to, you know, in terms of like work, trades, knowledge of, of how things work, working with my hands, responsibility, paying bills, work, managing credit, you know, buying homes, all that sort of things that a ghetto do would like, I was so ghetto, bro, that all those things were like unfathomable, how to buy a house or 
you know, even be legit in any way. You know what I'm saying? Like I always had like warrants. I was always in and out of jail. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I was just so dysfunctional, bro. The fact that now I could just totally manage my life and I can interact and mingle with people and I get jobs of like, you know, nice jobs. I've had some good jobs, bro, where people will actually make fun of me and think that I grew up like in a church or something. And they'll be like, oh, you're just a square. Like you wouldn't know about this. And that's how much of a change it's been. What advice would you give someone about life? What's our purpose on this planet based on what skill thinks? Okay, well, you know, skill thinks now. I mean, thank God that I'm not just going by my own ideas, but I'm, I'm going by things that I believe that the Bible is authentic and that it is a gathering. It's not just one book written by one man like a lot of people will tell you. A lot of people will say that as a cop-out and say, like, it was just a book manipulated, made by King James and to, to subjugate the masses. And it's not. When you really do the research and explore about the, the manuscripts, Dead Sea Scrolls, all the, how the Hebrews compiled the, the scriptures and all that, you realize that it's a collection of documents that were documenting contact between a higher force and between humanity. The very word Bible means a Biblia in Latin means like a library. So it's a collection of writing. And in those, there are certain themes and principles that run throughout, through different authors, different periods of time, different countries of history that tell a story. And it does answer, have answers as far as our purpose and the meaning of life. The, the thing is, is that just like I was telling you, graffiti is about relationships. Really, life is the same thing. It's about relationships. It's about uh, intelligent, creative, fantastic, intelligent, living being that has the power to create just like us as artists as we create our masterpieces and our pieces he's created us humanity be the ultimate masterpiece as a matter of fact and given us a part of himself so he's given us free will in life and the, that that very energy of what he is of life that living spark has been placed into his ultimate design which is humanity and as a result we can think we're creative we're free moral free will agents and we were, and his intents and purposes to create us was not to have things to play games with. He created us so we can communicate back and have a relationship. He wanted a wife, just like a, a guy might want a wife, you know, to, to be a companion and um, and someone to love him for who he is, and just to be, you know, and just he wanted homies. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to roll, be able to roll up to the hood and and, and have do slap his hand, give him pounds, chill, get something to eat together. You know what I'm saying? That's what what um, the reason he created us. In the Bible, it outlines how that got messed up. It, it, he created us, but because free will needs to have an option, he put a tree there and said, that's off limits. Anything else, you could have all of the trees, just that one don't. That's the rule I'm putting. The rule creates the free will phenomenon. You know, without some kind of an option, then you really don't have a choice. And then, therefore, you'd be a robot. So when that was placed there, so was the chance and the probability that you could choose then to break your relationship off with God and disobey because the devil being a created angel angel or angelic being had exercised his free will in a negative way and turned on God as in order to justify his separation because being an eternal being there has to be an eternal containment chamber created or placed to separate eternally from God's presence for him and in order to justify his move God gave him a chance okay because the devil, obviously, his argument is going to be, well, you created those people. You're giving them an option. But give me a chance to, to tempt them. Give me a chance to, to, to present my side of the, the, the coin. Help me show them how, because I feel like I, I want to be my own God. 
And, and that's why I'm separating from you. Like I'm disobeying you. I'm choosing to go against you. As a result, he was allowed a chance to get in there and tempt them. He worked in a dirty way. A lot of times how he works, he'll work through ways that men are vulnerable. And one thing is that since a woman is a part of us and we're geared and, and wired to multi, to mate with them and to multiply and to be married, to be become a part of one another, the devil went through his weakness, which was the woman. And he still does it to this day. Like men's number one weakness is women. You know, like, like we could really mess up our lives, not even by their fault, but by how we react to them, got her to, to separate herself from God. When she went to the man, him, instead of being a strong dude and saying, you know what, you messed up, honey, but let's go to God and let's see how we can fix this. He was so weak that he buckled under and partook and he ended up falling. They got separated because of man's weakness and his failure to, for one, to resist the temptation of, of through through his wife through the woman and because that was his weakness and through the food and through the eating improperly of that what he wasn't supposed to eat and as a result that caused a separation then between god and man god later on the whole bible is a story of god fixing that relationship that was broken promising a, a a savior that would come to fix that one of his children would one day undo what he'd done and so they call jesus christ the second adam because because of one man and his disobedience, death came into the world and to all of the people. Now through one man's obedience, life was going to come and undo all of that to all kinds of people. And so he gave his life then uh, in order to pay that price of what Adam did to give his life for what Adam's life. And when he didn't have to, because Jesus is a man who did, was not sinning, was not doing wrong. He did not deserve that death. So therefore, he, when he took on that death, it was a death that was uh, taken out on someone who it wasn't deserving of it. And, and so he built a credit, so to speak. It opened up the door that people can take on that credit for themselves. Therefore, my sins are covered by his death. And so whatever came into my life through Adam, through my grandfather, your grandfather, Adam's transgressions, whatever, to, comes into our nature. Um, and through my own sins that I committed, you know, that I did, I things I know I did wrong, all of that got covered and paid by Christ if, if I took it on, you know, and that's what I learned. And that's so my philosophy to life and what it, the meaning and all that is about that is about God loved us enough that he came, became a man, a spirit, great, creative, eternal, powerful entity, actually humbled himself and came and, and lived in this raggedy, messed up world as a human being, suffering hunger, having to work, having to deal with all the stuff we had to deal with. And then to top it off, got killed by the people he created and beaten up and spit on and everything else. But because he loved us so much in order to repair a damaged relationship to bring us back to him. And so it's just a big love story. It's just a big thing about relationships. So that's what the meaning of life is. Now, if a person can choose and be like, okay, well, I'd rather just not go that way. And not, who cares about relationships? I'm all about me. And that's basically what a, sat a satanic person is, is right? A person who pretty much like says like, like it's all about me like screw everybody else if you mess with me i'm just gonna you know that's it i'm just gonna damage you i'm just gonna take from people i'm gonna be ruthless i'm just gonna look out for number one first and that's it i'm my own god forget everybody i don't need nobody no relationships i'm solo bolo you know and i mean to me that's just not appealing bro. like I, I i'm just it's not appealing to me to live life constantly like having to like do people dirty and to take from people and to only be selfish. I mean, you know, and, and, and not have any real friendships, no real love, 
just be full of hatred all the time. I, I can't live that way, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, to me, it makes sense that I'd rather fulfill that purpose that God created me, which is to be his friend, you know? approached his car. He got a weird feel, a tingle up his spine. It was crime time. <laughs>